Welcome to Cloudlandia. Mr. Sullivan. Mr. Jackson. Welcome Which, to Cloudlandia. Yes. But actually, we're movable folks, you and I. Okay. We really are. And sometimes we operate focused on the mainland. That's true. And then other times we're involved in and focused on Cloudlandia. That's true. But I've discovered a third zone. Me too. Yes. It's not binary. It's tribinary. Tri- <laughs> tribinary. It's trinary. Trinary. Yeah. Because my feeling, feeling is that, the, that most folks are operating simultaneously trying to integrate their mainland activities and at the same time taking advantage of Cloudlandia capabilities. That's true. And they don't have any space in between, which mm-hmm. I call the, which using coach language, I call the free zone. Okay, I like this. I like where this is going because it's yeah, very funny to stop life having. Isn't that strange? Isn't that strange that we should be thinking along the same lines? Yeah. Independently. Yeah. But not really. No, my, you know, I've been, and I mentioned it a couple of times ago, this idea of discovering Deanlandia, thinking about my thinking, and that I realized I spend a disproportionate amount of time in Cloudlandia. If you think about the, if you include like consuming content and watching, you know, Netflix or watching all those things as Cloudlandia activity, right? Like taking in digital form, consuming something else, seeking dopamine from external sources that that I'm lumping under the whole, you know, Cloudlandia thing, screen sucking, as our friend Ned Hollowell would call it. and what I've realized, I've made a conscious effort and shifted the balance over the last couple of weeks here on uh, my, mo- my mantra has been less screen time, more Dean time. <clears throat> I've been taking time to really think about my thinking. And, you know, I mentioned it to you last time we spoke that you, you know, I was always stuck in my mind that when you mentioned, when you turned off you know, TV and Netflix and all that stuff, you, you made, you came to the realization that what's going on in your mind is better than what's coming out of the screen, right? (laughs) Basically that there's a more fulfilling, enriching game going on inside your head than coming out of the screen. Right. And that was something that's always stuck with me, but I really get it now kind of on a different level having really dedicated the last couple of weeks to shifting that balance, you know? Yeah. Well, Dean, I'll use your term, Dean Landy has some advantages. One is that it's a complete free zone because no one else knows what's going on. Nobody else knows what's going on in Dean's head until he tells Uh, Likewise for Dan Landia. I mean, that's really the great thing, right? Everybody has their own. You've got Dan Landia. And that's the inner world that we, I mean, it's the dominant thing. When you really think about how much time and how much of our external experience is dependent on what we're, you know, what we're doing in, in, in Deanlandia or Danlandia, that's shaping everything. Yeah. And one, one of the things that's really interesting about that, because uh, you're the only one who has a unique ability of being Dean in Deanlandia. You know, it's the, yeah, it's a complete, I, we just (laughs) auditioned and uh, accepted another associate coach in just this past week in Chicago and, and Ben Laws, who's a member of the free zone. He came up about six, seven months ago. And, and, uh, you know, usually because they have to go through an audition and the way it works is, 
you know, there's a conversation that develops with someone who indicates that they might be interested in being one of our associate coaches. So he makes number 16 that we have and and we don't you know we don't add them at a fast pace you know i think the last right. one, maybe three or four years because we really want to check out first of all you know we do some due diligence and we talk to referrals that the person gives to us and i said you know uh, you know is this person someone who actually enjoys coaching you know it seems to be coach like in their way of operating and, uh, you know, so we check that out and then we check out, you know, how the family situation is, the home situation, because it's going to require, you know, more travel and it's it's a commitment. You know, we're not looking for a one year associate coach where, I mean, uh, you know, the average length of if we add the previous, the you know, the existing 16 coaches on average. They've got 16 years, 16, 17 years coaching, you know, <laughs> you know, some of them are year 28, 27. And, so, uh, you know, we want it to, you know, we want it to be timeless. We want it, you know, and, and because uh, the program's always developing. So there's always new things and they can, you know, with skill and with achievement, they can jump from one level. You know, we just brought up five to the 10 times level. And it's our biggest multiplier. Yeah. Yeah. And it's our biggest multiplier in the coach when you think about it, you know. You know, I mean, I coach right now, I coach maybe, you know, 15% of the clients. The other 85% are coached by the other coaches, you know, Mm -hmm. and they're all coaching people who have written checks to strategic coach. Right. Yeah. And the other thing is, I've never seen one of them coach. You never sat in on. I remember you saying that you don't sit in on the sessions, or you're not. Any, you know, no, I've actually never. In. I've never been. You know, I've never been in the room or on a Zoom call when they're coaching. And so, what happens? They get to the ultimate moment before you know, before it's yes or no, and and we have a audition panel of coach clients who've all trained in the role of being a difficult client, workshop client. Ah, after, and then uh, they, after observation of many experts. Oh, no, we're completely familiar with the subject of difficult. Yes, that's what I mean, <laughs> after observation, <laughs> yeah. Workshop. And each of them sort of masters the role, and they have a series. Usually there are a series of questions or there are a series of ch- challenges. And the best way to get them difficult is to turn everybody into an extreme fact finder. I don't understand what you're saying there. You know, could you know, could you give you know, can you you know, can you explain that a little bit more? Where I'm not quite getting it, you know. And so anyway, and long story short, he passed with flying colors, you know, and he's in. But he had auditioned three years ago, and we didn't turn him down. We just said we don't think you're ready yet. Okay, we just oh, don't wow. think you're. Yeah, he was only mm-hmm. three years in. The, he was only three years in the program, so right. You know, he, you know, I mean, he just had basic toilet training down, but he didn't have it advanced training. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> now we're looking for volume and velocity. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> and accuracy. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, that's exciting. I mean, that's a good insight into you know how that process works. But the thing, and I want to bring it back to your comment of Dean Landia, and uh, because usually, you know, my role is to go in and say good luck, you know, and everything like that. So that, well, that that's stupid. We're not looking for luck. Right, right, right. <laughs> We're looking for confidence and capability, you know. And so I went in and I said, Ben, be yourself. And it had a huge impact on me afterwards, you know, when the verdict was in and there was a pizza and champagne celebration in the cafe, I went up to him and he said, that had a huge impact on me. And I said, yeah, being yourself is the first free zone. I like that thought. It's true. There's no competition. There's no one who can possibly 
compete at being you. Yeah. You know? And so anyway, he, and then he brought it up. I brought it up and we were in the free zone workshop the next day. This was Wednesday. The free zone was on Thursday live. You know, we had actual live human beings in a physical room and it came up as a topic and it went on for about 45 minutes. And, you know, and people said, yeah, be yourself. You know, be yourself. You know, Oscar Wilde, the, you know, the sort of the outrageous English, British, you know, writer. You know, he was a novelist and wrote plays and commentator. He had a line which I thought was halfway there. He said, be yourself. Everyone's taken. Yeah. But that seems like a kind of negative approach to it. My, you know, my my approach, and I'm coming back to the Dean Landia idea and the Dan Landia idea. I'm coming back and I'm saying, be yourself because the territory is entirely, you just have to take ownership. Yes. It's pretty exciting when you start thinking like that. Like when you, I, I love, and then embracing, you know, your, I'm just thinking this morning in my journal about the, you know, the uniqueness of our, both the internal things and the external advantages that we have. Like I was thinking about the element of a perfect life. That was a concept that I've been, you know, 25 years ago, we did this exercise of, I know I'm being successful when when I created this program with Tom and Le- Thomas Leonard. And, you know, the I've been really thinking about these, the elements here of a perfect life. And, uh, you know, it comes down to, I love like bedrock things, things that are, you know, universal contextual rocks that if you look at, we're all, all the elements that go into creating a perfect life are time where it, you know, that's, we're all born into that. It's here, whether we, before we were here, it's going to be here after, but it's one mm-hmm. element that we're all working within the construct of the speed of reality, 60 minutes per hour. We're born and the game is already going. If you think <laughs> about it, that's like a, you think about it as a video game is we're joining the game in process, right? It's already been yeah. going on. Then the next level is what I encompass as me. Or, you know, you've got everything that is distinctly, if we were to strip you naked, put you on a deserted island, that's the, everything that you have right now is you. So that's, and some of those things are, factory settings that you can't really change. Like you're, you're a male, your you, your, your genetic health, your situation, you know, all of those things. Your, that, you know, your brain power, you know. What, yeah, your what brain you, power. And I think that there is an advantage. You can't deny, you say yourself, life's not fair. It's not fair that some people are born with super high IQs or super physical strength, super genetic, you know, health makeup and others are born with, you know, other with challenges in that. Sometimes people are born with mental disabilities or physical disabilities or all of those things. But when you do an assessment, if you're kind of pushing the reset button on the game, and I love your idea of 25 year frameworks, right? 25 year terms that you end up with a, you know, everything, if we're joining the game in progress, if you're kind of pushing the reset button now, you just turned 79 years old, you had a reset in, you know, 75, and you kind of make the the rules up as you go, because that's the great thing about it. Everything is made up, like you say. Mm-hmm. And the, but if you do an assessment at any point, if we just kind of do an inventory of what are my you know, me advantages that I have right now, if I were just to say, and I think that's all of your, all of the knowledge, all of the, your physical situation right now, all of those things are what your 
left with. And then the next is the environment, which is all of the settings, all of the external things. Like an environment is where you are in the game. You're, if you're born into, you know, rural China, that's a different environment than being born in North America or being born mm-hmm. in Canada to, uh, you know, you've got a moving sidewalk advantage that you're in the mix, right? You've got geography on your side. You've got the economy, you know, all of that stuff is an environmental thing that you can mm-hmm. change. This is part mm-hmm. of the thing is that any time we could up and move to rural China if you wanted to, you know, or move, change your environment. And that's, you know, a lot of where you are thinking comes in with the, with the immigrant thinking, thinking where you're leaving everything behind. And that's kind of this thought is where would be the best environment for what you want for this next 25 years, if you're going to, you know, set up the plan there. Then the next is people that there's all the people that are involved and that's distinct from your environment and who you choose to collaborate with, cooperate with, you know, cohabitate with all of your, and your, some of them are your family that you're, that you're assigned when you come into the game. But then there are others uh, already pre-assigned, actually. There, that's exactly right. Yeah, pre-assigned. <laughs> that's exactly right. And then money is the final element. And I think that the thing becomes taking, you imagine, my, my visual metaphor for it is this continuous runway game like like Guitar Hero or like something where it's just constantly coming at you at the speed of 60 minutes per hour and you get to you know move the joystick into whatever environment where you're going to allocate that time in what environment with what people and those environments are either contributing to money or taking away from either using money to participate in that part of the environment or you're in Mm -hmm. an environment that's making money. And so those five elements of the game are a really fun, a really fun yeah. thing. And what you just said is true for everyone. Yes, that's exact. That's what, And that's why, you know, the framework. Of I mean, and eight, the truth, you know, I mean, the whole thing is how you play the game. Yeah. And, uh, you know, in, you know, let's take poker, for example, the best mm-hmm. poker players aren't the ones who get an unusual run of good cards, you know? Right. I mean, I mean, over the course of, let's say, 50 games, they didn't get any better cards than anybody else did. No, you're absolutely right. It, you know, it, it's so funny. That's really the, and those are situations, that's a perfect example that this really is. You're playing it like a game and... I wanted to, you know, I've always made the distinction of a perfect life, not the perfect life, because a perfect mm-hmm. life it acknowledges that there are 8 billion versions of it. You know, everybody is in possession of one life that they get to play the game and pursue a perfect for them life. Yeah. Yeah, that's a fun, endlessly fun game. Yeah, someone, one of the free zone participants on Thursday, you know, dropped, just casually was talking, then dropped the line perfect. I said, whoa, you know, whoa, perfect. All right. Okay. So I'm going to give you an easy approach to perfection. Okay. And this Mm -hmm. is what I've done. Just declare yourself perfect. Yeah. Just say perfect. Now, how am I going to expand that over the next 90 days? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it, it takes them right back to unique ability because that's the only dynamic capability that we have is that we have a unique ability that nobody has, which is a I more, that, you, you know, know which perfect. is a more coach, 
which is a more coachified way of talking about you're, you have a unique ability. That's where the perfection yeah. is. But you haven't fully explored all the different ways that you can be more conscious of that. And you haven't explored all the ways in which it can move into greater capabilities and impact yeah. in the world. Yeah. And I, I guess that. that's, that, that's a guess. So that's what Dean Landy is. Uh, you know, Dean mm-hmm. has a, he has a unique ability, capability, unique to him. And, and, and I think I passed on to you a comment. This is a psychologist who's doing a study and an ultimate paper on, on outliers and who is very keenly interested in talking to me because the word's gone around about, you know, strategic coach and, you know, the whole philosophy of strategic coach is based and the practice of strategic coach is based on a concept called unique ability. And, and he, the question, the question to me was, what do unique people have in common? And I said, well, nothing. Yeah. (laughs) What do unique people have in common? Nothing. That's the absolute truth, isn't it? I mean, yeah. And And I said, yeah, I mean, I said, I've looked the term up in the dictionary and, you know, it's a thing unto itself and it, there, there's no similarity to it with, you know, with anything else. I said, either, I mean, unique either means what it means or it doesn't mean anything, you know, and, you know, but you can't have a unique ability cult. You know? No, I think you're right. But like the interesting thing is there's always this room for improvement. There's always room mm-hmm. for move for progress. And I think that mm-hmm. if I think about perfection as you know something being perfect as you know an asymptotic curve that continues to improve but never levels out is I like some of these definitions. Like I, I'm a big entomologist too, similar to you being that I look up the definitions of things, right? And perfect is as an adjective, the having all the required or desirable elements, qualities, or characteristics as good as it is possible to be. My favorite one is highly suitable for someone or something exactly right. And I think that there's mm-hmm. always this thing that we always have, just like a horizon, we always have a opportunity to move forward you know and i think that's but it's nice to be yeah well to... you know the wild card there's a couple of wild card factors mm-hmm. here the, the one wild card factor is that we live in the realm of time okay yeah. and time's always moving on and yeah. and as it moves on things change you know yeah. uh, at least they change in terms of our awareness you know, that we're aware, oh, gee, that's something new, you know, and yeah. everything. And the thing is that there's a high premium here on adaptability of saying, well, this is the perfect approach here, but, you know, next week it might not. And being, this is where being alert, curious, all of those things are. Yeah. I was looking back at the last 25 years and I was, actually thinking like I'd like round things I'm moving to where you know I'm three years away from being 60 and that will be a 25 year you know from 2000 was when I kind of started that 25 year vision you know and I look at it now that I've got three years to get to 60 and then 25 years from there will take me to 85, right? And, but I look at what's happened. So in that's 28 years right now, kind of looking forward there. And I think of them as academic years. So, you know, 28 seasons kind of thing or whatever. I think about them starting in September. But the, I think I was really thinking this morning Think about all the things that have changed in that 28 years from 1996 
to, you know, to now. And the richest people in the world right now, none of them were even doing what they're doing to get to that point 28 years ago. Like you yeah, and that would include, there was no Amazon, that would include, there was no Google, there was no Facebook, but there even was no if YouTube. You, but even if you take Berkshire Hathaway, which is outside yeah. of the technological realm, yeah, I mean Warren Buffett will tell you that all of his money, you know, he's in his approaching his mid nineties now, yeah, and all of his money's really been made, you know, like yeah, and isn't that? I mean, you think about that. Warren Buffett was. He was the richest guy in the world or among them then, you know, 28 years ago. That's true. So was Bill Gates. And, you know, the, you think about some of those, the OD ones, but you think about how much, like, the Internet was just a baby in yeah. the and brand yeah. new. You know, yeah. you see that. My favorite is seeing that, you know, Bryant Gumble and Katie Couric. Clip of them discussing what is internet, you know? Yeah. Well, and what, what's this thing dot com? You know. Right. Exactly. App. Yeah. What the A? What the circle? Well, what? Yeah. Well, I mean, do you have a clue? And these are, you know, these are people in the middle of the news media. You know, I mean, yeah. they're in. Yeah. The, I mean, you know, they're at, and they're in New York City. You know, they're right in the center of one of the world's great plugged in cities, you know, yeah. and they're wondering there. So, uh, you know, I mean, it's really interesting. Just a little point about that. I had just been, you know, you know, doing podcasts with Mike Koenigs and Peter Diamandis, and both of them said they made a statement similar to everybody now is paying attention to AI. Okay. Yeah. So that's the first part. The second part was I was in London for a whole week and I had a whole event all day with you know, 100 strategic coach clients. And the only reason anybody was talking about the AI was that Evan Ryan happened to be in the UK at that time and I invited to come for the day and I had him come in. And Everybody wanted to know what this was, you know, and I was reading the, you know, London is very rich with newspapers. And, uh, you know, I I was reading the telly every day, the telegraph, and Mm -hmm. nobody was talking about AI. And I said, you know, and I said, and I said, this is London, another globally plugged in city, you know, you know, I mean, you know, on a par with New York. And I said, you know, I bet if I if I go to Africa and visit all the capital cities of Africa, I bet they're not talking about AI, you know. Right. And, I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, we're very biased towards what we're involved in. We're very biased mm-hmm. towards what we're excited about, you know, and everything like that. But that's not being in your own India, you know, you know, you know, you know. I mean, I find <laughs> your own private India. That's the silliest thing. We just yeah. your own private Idaho, your own private India. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Have you taken ownership of your India yet? Oh, this is the best. You know, you got to register it. Yeah, exactly. Oh my goodness, that's like the man. this is like the land rush, you know. You got yeah, five years. That, but the good news is you're grandfathered in. Nobody's going to take it over. Yeah, you just got to claim it. I think I think you're hitting on something very fundamental, which I'm suspecting is very recent in human history. Okay, and by recent, I don't mean you know the last ten years. I mean the last 400 years. And the reason I say 400 is because I was watching a YouTube video. There's a author who's dead now. I think he died last year in his nineties by the name of Harold Bloom, a professor at Yale. And his specialty was Shakespeare. I mean, he was considered the foremost expert and commentator on Shakespeare in history. No one has written about, spoken about, Shakespeare more. And Shakespeare, for Harold Bloom, Shakespeare 
is the he has a book. It's a huge book. You know, it's a big, thick book, and it's called Shakespeare: The Invention, the Invention of Human. And you know, he makes his case. He's got, you know, he's got all sorts of convincing arguments and everything like that. But he said Shakespeare was the first writer of any kind, the first dramatist of any kind who on stage, and of course in the writing, but on stage, has characters talking to themselves. And he said... It's the first one. Yeah, we've never seen, he said, I've, you know, I've explored all the stories and all the, you know, the religions and everything. And he's the first, he's the first character, but it's not just one character. He created about 25 different characters who do this and they talk to themselves. They have conversations with themselves. And he said, there's a crossover and that the modern world really exists when people started talking to themselves and it's the ancient world before they did, because now you're thinking about your thinking and you're now reflecting on it and sharing it with the audience who the character doesn't know is there. You know, he, thinks he's alone, but there's, yeah, you know, there's a thousand people watching this take place. But he yeah. says it's also the birth of personality. And he says, you'd, prior to Shakespeare, you don't get these really incredible personalities, you know, like Macbeth and Hamlet and Falstaff, yeah. and, you know, Shylock and Iago and all these amazing and they're complete universes in themselves. I mean, they're not they're not even in service of the plot. They just have this complete, almost endless depth to them. And and I was pondering that. And Freud, the you know the famous psychiatrist, right around the 1900, was asked who he thought was the greatest expert on human psychology thinking that he would talk about someone in his field or someone he, you know, and that he was going to be humble and give credit to some other person. And he said, well, you know, every time I think I'm on a completely new insight, and it's like walking down a new road, about halfway down the road, I see somebody walking back the other way. And, and, and it's Shakespeare. And Shakespeare Uh says, Shakespeare says, uh, I thought it was promising, but not really. You know, I mean, take it from me. That, that, nothing down you here. Have, yeah, <laughs> there's, there's nothing, there's nothing down here. Yeah, <laughs> nothing right like that. And I found that a very striking comment on on Freud's part. You know, I mean, I mean, he was he was I mean, he was totally into himself. I mean, he was a character himself, and he was a personality. But if you put Bloom and Freud together, what he's saying is that this is very recent, and it actually has a beginning with one thinker. It has, you know, it has a beginning. So I think we're living in that that world. And what you and I are doing today, we're saying, yeah, we didn't come up with the notion that there's a mainland and a Cloudlandia. You know, we we simply put names to something that people were already dealing with. Yeah. But it's like it's binary, you know, it's like when you, when you, you know, reach the border, furthest border of the mainland, then you're in Cloudlandia. But (laughs) what you're suggesting is, well, that may be true for most people, but in fact, it's possible to create a third zone that lies between mainland, the mainland and Cloudlandia. That's the truth. I look at them as layers there. You're absolutely right. Yeah. And it's the one that, yeah, it's the thing that puts it all, uh, puts it all together. Yeah. It's interesting because this thing of technology and the book, um, the quarterly book I'm writing, this is quarter 35. So this is book 35 and it's called training technology like a good dog. Okay. And it's really getting interesting, and I, you know, I'm doing some reading on the topic of has anyone else made this connection between technology and dogs, you know? And a really nice piece, an academic piece, pretty recent, just sort of came out, and it makes the claim that dogs 
are in fact humanity's first technology. And this oh, is the okay. thinking. This is the thinking that it's the first uh-huh. time humans have taken another species, you know, have taken Oops. and done a deal with them. You know, basically mm-hmm. that uh, there was no such thing as a dog until there was a collaboration between some canny wolf and some, you know, mm-hmm. responsive human being. And together they created a new creature on the planet called dog, you know. Yeah. And so, so when you look at, you know, all the various shapes and sizes of, you know, of dogs, I live in the beaches area of Toronto and there's a boardwalk about a two minutes away from our front door. Mm-hmm. And I go down and walk in, and boy, they sure come in a lot of different varieties. But it's all a create but it's all a created species and did not pre exist before humans and another species did a collaboration. And I says, therefore, how have we done with the technology called dogs? And we've done we've been very creative, if nothing else. You know, we've been very creative, you know. I mean, it's hard to you don't see them often, but times uh, sometimes you see a Chihuahua down there, you know, which are you can hold yeah. in your hand. And right. I ran into one I had never seen two weeks ago called a Leon Burger. Okay, never heard of it. And it's a German dog. It's Saint Bernardish. As a matter of fact, I okay. think it's a it's bred from it's a combination of putting the Saint Bernard and several other mountain work dogs together oh, yeah. called Leon Burger. And mm-hmm. it's arguably the biggest, the biggest of the breeds. And they weigh in at about 145, 150 pounds. So they're a big dog and yeah. very tranquil, you know, very tranquil, very, you know, very easy to get along with. And I said, well, somebody, you know, some back there, a series of people, said, let's get a really, really little dog, you know, one you can hold in your hand, you know, and, and uh, you know, and and somebody else said, you know what, we need, we need a bigger dog. We need a bigger dog. But you have to realize is you're dealing with a technology that was actually created by human beings in the first place. That's amazing. It was made, they're made up. Dogs are made up. Yeah. I think you think then what would be the next collaboration that paved the way for us to collaborate with donkeys and oxen. <laughs> yeah, pigs, cows, you know, horses. Yeah, yeah. yeah but my feeling is the knowledge of, of developing dogs then led to, you know, led to, you know, all sorts of, you know, domestication of animals just spread very quickly after That's they true, cracked right? the code, after they cracked the code on dogs. Think about that. All know. the, yeah, the golden age of carrier pigeons and falconry and, yeah. Parrot. We opened Parrot. up a whole new, yes. Parrot. opened up Yo, a whole Parrot. new world. Yeah. 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 I think you're on to something, a, Dan. There's a, and maybe the a parallel pa- lesson. Well, this is the only topic that Peter Diamandis has ever asked me to share at A360, and uh-huh. I wasn't asked to come on stage. I just did a little 10-minute riff. Yeah. But I said, you know, I had 10-minute riff there, and that was, you know, six, seven years ago. And But it's been one of those, it's been like a piece of food that gets ta- caught in your teeth. You know, my tongue's been working away for the last five or six years, and I've been saying, you know, I think there was something in that little riff I did there. Yeah, that right. right. It will be useful now when we talk about the technologies that we have right now. And what I've established in the book is that you don't get a good dog unless you establish completely and take responsibility that you're the owner. Okay. And, and my sense is the same thing with any technology, but especially the ones that were, are, you know, are the, Hot numbers in Cloudlandia. I love it. I mean, this is such great. I can't wait for that one to to come. Yeah, out. and uh, you know, and you know, the book the book surprises you. I mean, as you go along, yeah. and but the central thing is, I mean, it's a bit of a diversion because I'm talking about dogs, and I'm really talking about you know, and I'm talking about technology, but it's actually a diversion. What I'm trying to emphasize is what does ownership mean. 
are you a human being who's actually taken ownership of yourself? Because it makes it a lot easier than to be the owner of a dog and the owner of technology if you've actually taken ownership of yourself. And I think that Dean Landia is a statement, I've taken ownership of this territory. I think that's and all, all, that's and all that and all that entails. And that's so part of the best thing if you did inherit a, a land or took ownership of it, part of the great joy is exploring the territory. That's really well, and what, put, uh, Yeah. And the other thing is putting your mark on it, you know. Yeah. I think that's you amazing. Know. Yeah, the land rush, the home, you know, they had the Homesteading Act. It's an act mm-hmm. of Congress. And then the various states would have land rushes. They would be territories, and they had goal to be a state. Oklahoma is yeah. the very famous, you know, the very famous example. And mm-hmm. so it didn't have Oklahoma, the Oklahoma Territory, which was borrowed from the Native Indians who were there, uh, but they were, yeah, but they were very deficient on property lines. They were very deficient on surveys, you know, and they said it was their land, but there was, they didn't register it, you know, then, mm-hmm. you know, they didn't go to the, you know, to the Native Territory Registry Office and register it. And so got a certain date, you know, the financial interests and the political interests in Oklahoma said that. They, and you have to get an agreement with the federal government that you're doing this. And it's a teamwork thing. But on a particular day, you could line up at one border of Oklahoma. You couldn't do it from all four borders. You could do it. And there was a gunshot or a cannon was off. And then you would go to claim a hundred, I think it was a hundred acres, hundred mm-hmm. acres. And, uh, you know, and you had to survey it in, you had to pay, put the survey lines in and you had to mm-hmm. put stakes along the way. And they had surveyors who were helpers and they would, you know, give the, you know, they, from their understanding, the, you know, the specific latitude, mm-hmm. longitude, and then they had a registry office, and these were movable registry offices because it was dynamic action for like a six-month period. And by the end of six months, all the land was registered. All the land in the state was registered. And then, you know, and then they invited people to move in to the potential new state of Oklahoma. And once they got a population that was equal to the state of Rhode Island, they could petition for statehood. And that's how the state got created. Isn't that interesting? I, there was a yeah. great movie. There was a great movie called Far and Away. And it was Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. And it told the story of them coming from Ireland to Oklahoma, to America, where they're giving away land. They saw flyers in the, you know, in England or in Ireland and decided that they would make the trek over and start a new life <clears throat> in America. Yeah. It was a very fascinating thing. And it's interesting yeah. how the Oklahoma Sooners, the Sooners got their name because some of them, as you said, before the gun went off, they went in sooner. And already plotted, and in, they already plotted they out in. their land. They yeah, they hid. Yeah, their the land. Sooners. Yeah. yeah, that's why... Yeah, that's why the name has stuck, you know, in Oklahoma. Yeah. Yeah. And because they were too soon. They were too soon. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's but right. But they had already, they were already there and then they hit. But, and then if anybody else came, they suddenly emerged and said, no, we've staked out this territory. We've already done it, you know, and, and everything else. You know, it's like Italy. I was on a bus in Italy, and it was on the Amalfi Coast, which is a spectacular, you know, spectacularly beautiful part. But we weren't on the coast; we were in a town, and I was sitting the closest a passenger could be to the bus driver, so he was on the left because they they drive on the same way we do in the states, you know, on the same side of the road. And we came in a village where we came down, and then there was a perpendicular road. The road we were on didn't go through. You had to turn. And the sign at the end clearly said, turn right. 
the arrow was pointing right and the bus driver turned left. And I said, I think that's one way the other way, isn't it? He says, mere suggestion. A mere suggestion. That's funny. I love it. I love it. And that, that explains that, that explains Italians approach to all laws. Merely mm-hmm. suggestions. Merely yeah. suggestions. Yeah. I saw, by the way, your... Go ahead, Dan. Go ahead. You're about, to, you're, about to talk about, uh, you're about to talk about me, so I want to hear it fully. Of course. I saw your working genius oh, yeah. come through before. Yeah. That'd be a good... No surprise that ours no. is identical. Yes. <laughs> we have identical <laughs> working geniuses. It's funny. Yeah. But useful. I mean, I've got a. I found it very useful, and we're going to give it to all the free zoners. You know, we're going to give it, you know, like we do. We did that with the print, which I find useful in its own way. And, you know, so, you know, Strength Finder, I find that useful. Colby, very useful. And, you know, so, I mean, they're like. It would be fascinating for if everybody in free zone did the working genius. And they've got a way to combine to show, like, we could show the free zone environment with everybody's strength lit up as, you know, if you need some particular working genius, these are all the free zone people that are. Well, it's really interesting because we just created a tool, our tech team did, the website on the coach website that's called the who finder and you and you go in and just list who you are in terms of the kind of kinds of projects you like to work on and where your best abilities are and what your best solutions are and you just list it and anybody else can look at that and contact you i like that i was thinking something similar among looking at the VCR assets as well, Mm. capability and reach assets to be able to see where people have excess capacity or have need as a framework for collaboration. Oh, yeah. Uh, So I mean, you could just take the Who Finder and just expand it to include mm -hmm. those categories with credit given to the originator. But I think those that would really open up a lot of collaboration. Yeah. yeah. There's one, I don't know if you've met him, because he's a year into Free Zone. His name is Chad Jenkins. Have you met Chad Jenkins? I have met Chad. Yeah. Uh-huh. I met Chad. Yeah, in, Chad. He was in Palm Beach, right? Yeah. Yeah. And he's a multi-company man in, in North Carolina. But he, in one year, has stripped out all of his activities except collaborating with other people, mainly in free zone, mainly in free zone, and then adding their capabilities to the companies that he owns. I like that. Yeah. Let's just sum up a little bit three things that emerged in your thinking since we started at the top of the previous hour. Mm-hmm. What, what's come through that takes what you were already working on further? Well, I like this idea of, you, you know, claiming your Andia. I think that's, <laughs> it's a really interesting concept, but it's, if you take it like a new territory to be explored and mined for all the best resources and outcomes and, I think there's I think there's really something to that of thinking of it as property, you know. Well, I think the interesting thing about it isn't that other people have to know uh, right. have to know because they can. Right. The yeah. whole point is, do you claim it for yourself? Yeah, I think that's amazing. Like, I think there's so much of our. It's really where we spend the most time, you know. I mean, it's there. It's <laughs> the it's what shapes everything. You know, so much of our life experience is our internal, whether we recognize it as that or not, but where our attention goes. Well, and I think the other all. thing that is very crucial about this, and and we didn't really get into that, but since 
Yeah, I'll just use my own example. For a long time in my life, I didn't claim my Andia. I didn't, but I beat myself up for being there rather than being either in the mainland or in Cloudlandia. Right, right. Anytime I was yeah. in Danlandia, I thought it was a waste of time that I, yeah. you know, why are you doing this? I mean, this is wasted time. This is wasted effort. You know, right. why are you? Why? Teachers and authorities kind of beat it out of you. He's always, he's yeah. always got his head. He's always got his head in the clouds. He's always, yeah. He's off in his own world. It's always beaten out of us as a negative thing. Well, yeah. Or we tell other, we give other people permission to beat us up. Yeah. Well, it's true, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's interesting. I think that it's it's a new world that we're in. But my mm-hmm. sense is that it really starts, and I'm, I feel good about the description, you know that. Professor Bloom gives that this really started with Shakespeare. Shakespeare is the first human being to open the door that this is available to you. know, he's available to you. What's really interesting, he comes across as a very tortured soul. So I, I think he only went halfway with this idea. And that is, he says, we need to worship Shakespeare by this. And I said, no, you got to use Shakespeare as a working example, and then in your own realm, do what he suggested you can do. And I, I get the sense that he didn't do that. He didn't do that. You know, he, you know, he turned it. Uh, you know, he talks about it in almost like religious terms. And I said, right, yeah, it's like it's kind of like you have a retrieval dog, and you shoot and you kill the duck. You know, the duck falls, <laughs> then you point to the pointer, you know, you point to the, and instead of going and getting the duck, he licks your finger. <laughs> oh, right. Oh, my goodness. Oh, oh, mighty one. Oh, mighty one. I love it when you point, you know. Yeah. You say, no, there's a project here. There's, you know, <laughs> you know go do what, go do what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. And I get a feeling. With the, yeah. I, I got a feeling with, instead of doing his own thing, Professor, Bloom licked Shakespeare's finger. <laughs> oh, finger licking going on there. Yeah, that's funny. All right. Well, well I got a, I got a, I, I got a gold mine out of this, and uh, I did. Yeah, claiming your Andia. That's the. That's exactly right. That's just the T-shirt that we're going to. <laughs> that's right. They're getting your Andia. Or bumper. Yeah. I mean, I mean, coffee cups, bumper stickers. You know, I mean, uh, there's there's the universe. Emerging. Anyway, same time next week? Absolutely. I wouldn't miss it. All righty. Thanks, Dan. I'll talk to you soon. Okay, okay Dean. Bye.